This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is a podcast from the Smart Material Collective, made by nerds, funded by the listeners. Is hair a material? Are biscuits a material? Are crystals a material? Is plastic a material? Is porridge a material? Can gases be a material? Are eggs a material? Is water a material? What do you call everything that isn't a material? <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to laugh at your question. And yet you continue to do so. <laughs> Hello and welcome to another episode of Real Talk. I'm your host, Anna Pajajski, and I'm a material scientist who knows nothing really about materials. Like, I know the theory of them and loads of pointless facts, but I don't actually know anything proper. So this is the podcast where I meet the people who do. And this episode, I chat to knitter Leah Richards about wool. I met Leah at her flat in Bristol and we chatted on her sofa surrounded by all sorts of crafty implements. I started by asking where it all began. So I learned to knit from my mum when I was about 10 or 11. Mm-hmm. And for someone who goes through a lot of phases with things that I'm interested in and things that I'm doing, um, the wool has been the one that I've always come back to. About three years ago, because my mum had also expressed an interest in it, I booked her and me on a spinning class just to be clear, this spinning class is nothing to do with bikes. No, no, this is, uh, yeah, it's spinning wool into yarn. Awesome. And yeah, learned how to use a spinning wheel to turn the fluff off a sheep into string. So where do you go to buy wool? Where, where does this process begin with a sheep? How do you find a sheep? <laughs> uh, you usually find sheep on farms. Mm-hmm. That is where they're usually found. They are a domesticated animal. Um <laughs> Through starting to do the spinning and doing demonstrations and stuff, we've got to know quite a few people who have sheep um, and other fibre-bearing animals. So a lot of the stuff that we've been using has um, actually come from a shearer who we've befriended through doing this. So I've got um, I've got a bag of Portland in Mum's attic waiting for her to bring it down to me from a ewe called Delight. Um, thanks delight yeah if you're just wanting to get into it and you don't want to do the networking to kind of meet people you can buy it all online right um when wool was the big industry in britain and especially 
uh, around Stroud particularly. It was kind of a, a direct pipeline from field to shearing shed to mill. Mm-hmm. Um, or from field to shearing shed to the, the cottages of the people who were spinning and weaving um, to turn it into a usable product. Mm, brilliant. Okay, well, I can see a lot of weaving equipment and spinning equipment in front of me. So can you take us through how you take a piece of wool that has just come off a sheep into the woolly jumpers that we all love? Okay, um, <laughs> so I have most of the kit. Start with the carders. Ooh. Okay, so first of all, you take your piece of wool, which just looks exactly as you'd imagine it. Yep, just some a piece fluff. of fluff. <laughs> so this this will have been shorn off a sheep in um, usually sort of May June time, mm-hmm. and um, that's Aww. still got the the lanolin in it. It's not been washed or anything yet. So okay. I mean, you can you so can smell. The yeah, kind it smells of kind of smoky. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the lanolin in it um, is quite often stripped off for use in like cosmetics and stuff. Mm-hmm. So most hair conditioners will con- contain it. Lots of moisturizers, that sort of thing. So is it a fat lanolin? Um, yeah, it's basically sweat. Ah, it's basically the sheep sweat, but it's um, it's like better for softening skin and stuff than anything we produce ourselves interesting so lots of channel swimmers will use a combination of lanolin and vaseline Mm. to like stop chafing on their bodies when they swim for long distances it's a really effective lubricant and um i think also works as a sort of a pest repellent for them as well Mm. Um, but yeah we sort of spread the the fleece out on the board of the carder um, so these basically just look like big flat hair brushes. Yes. They've got lots of pins on them. And you're just stroking them together in it. It aligns all the fibres yeah. and it gets out all the um, the vegetable matter. Oh. What's that, like leaves and stuff? Yeah, leaves and grass. Occasional beetles. Oh. I have found a whole beetle in a fleece one. <laughs> well, this looks clear of beetles, this one. Yeah, I think this one's all right. And you just you want to get all the fluff aligned together mm-hmm. um, so once I've done carding it I just pull it off the cards and roll it up into a little row lag and then when I get on the the wheel later I can basically work from one end to the other of this nice fluffy airy sausage so you get your wool and you put it through the the brushes or the cards um, to kind of straighten out all the fibers so that it's nice and clean and sort of I guess tidier for you to be able to yes. spin with um, easier to handle, less tangles in it. Yes. Um, less unexpected bits of grass. <laughs> Ideal. And then we move on to spinning it. Right. So I have uh, two different bits of kit for doing that here. So what I'm looking at here is essentially straight out of Disney's Sleeping Beauty. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a wooden wheel um, which is sort of aligned vertically and... Uh, various other little connecting wheels and hooks and various rotating bits and bobs. So you're pumping the pedal with yeah. your foot, which is what is causing it to spin mechanically. Yeah. That drives the wheel. <gasps> wow. The movement goes through up the drive band where it turns the flyer. And the flyer is this rotating bit at the top, yeah. which is where the wool is being fed into the middle of mm-hmm. it. And the flyer and the bobbin move at different speeds so that it winds on. 
as yep. you're going along. That's the main difference between my wheel and a, a proper, well, the sort of wheel that Sleeping Beauty could have pricked her finger on. <laughs> um, right, so there's no sharp objects in this one. Mine does not have any sharp parts. If this one is kind of uh, the most modern bit of technology, excepting uh, motor-driven wheels, um, the drop spindle is one of the oldest ways, and it's it's thought that that most cultures picked up or figured out spindles um, at a similar sort of time. Yeah. So basically any culture you can name has got its own interpretation of this piece of kit. So it's a stick with a weight on it. Um, and you get different sizes um, are better for spinning different fibres and different weights of yarn. Mm. So this one is fairly heavy and works quite well for spinning um, fairly fine yarns, not super duper fine, but um, I can quite easily make quite a good sock weight yarn on this. Mm. So similarly to, to the big one what you're doing is you're feeding in the wool and it's being spun into a very fine line but with this one you're suspending it and spinning it a bit like a spinning top yeah but suspending it in the air whereas the other one was sort of driven round by the crank Mm -hmm. and basically the in-between of these two pieces of technology is where sleeping beauty's wheels sat so she'd have had instead of the flyer arrangement she'd have had a spindle Mm -hmm. on top of it so that would turn as the the wool was pulled across the end, it right. would be it, it, the twist would get into it to turn into a yarn, mm-hmm. um, and then you'd have to stop every so often to wind it on, mm-hmm. which is why she had a pointy bit she could get herself on. Ah, and I have explained that to many many children <laughs> of farm demos. Ah, oh, cool. And occasionally had to resist the temptation to tell them that I'm the Wicked Witch. (laughs) (laughs) Do you identify more with the Wicked Witch or with Sleeping Beauty? Uh, I always identified more with the Wicked Witch. Yeah, I was always typecast as the Wicked characters in school plays. I was always the evil (laughs) stepmother or like (laughs) whoever the villain was, that was always me. (laughs) I mean, I yeah, I got to be an angel in my only nativity play, but that's because three-year-old me was very blonde and very cute. (laughs) I think Um, I might have been an angel as well. And after that, I think the mischief started to show. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, this technology looks very traditional mm. and kind of very unchanged from what I imagine has been the case for quite a long time. Um, when did we first start making with wool in this way? I mean, as obviously, it's difficult to date um, things that are reliant on things like textiles as evidence because they're so perishable Mm. um but as far as we can tell as soon as we had sheep we started using them in this way because it's a it's a really useful fiber Mm -hmm. um i mean coming migrating out of africa we'd have uh, probably been using linen first um which is fantastic for keeping you cool and gets very very soft with wear and is quite easy to process um so you pick the reeds you leave them in water to rot down a bit and then you can just beat the fiber out of it okay um so we already had this technology probably before we started encountering wool um but once we did it's such fantastic stuff that it really takes hold as a 
as a material because mm. it's I mean it's so fantastically useful. Yeah, because it's waterproof, right? Yep. Because of the lanolin, it's obviously very thermally insulating. Yes, it's um, it continues to insulate even while it's wet as well. Oh wow! Um, I think because of the structure of the hairs, it it traps air in a way that just wetting it doesn't it doesn't lose much of its insulating property. That is very useful. So if you're a fisherman and you fall in the sea and you've got your big woolly jumper on, mm-hmm. you are better off than someone who's fallen in in their linens or whatever <laughs> that's really interesting because i've been reading a lot about um historical swimsuits and a lot of the early swimming materials were wools and we think now wearing sort of synthetic um sort of lycra type mm. materials like the wool would seem like a really horrible and heavy swimming material but actually because it had this um the warmth properties mm. as well as the ability to get away for retain warmth um it was actually a really popular swimming material yeah and i mean it's it's not ideal because it does go a little bit saggy when it gets wet but um especially with a knitted fabric there are ways of building the fabric to um give it its own flexibility okay so in the structure you can knit it in such a way that it would hope to retain a bit more of its yeah dignity <laughs> yeah that's i mean one of my favorite things about knitting is the way it goes together so you can form a three-dimensional object using some sticks and some string so you're you know you're going from one dimension to three yeah with some esoteric hand gestures basically <laughs> <laughs> yeah really interesting and actually this idea of 3d knitting is quite a hot topic in materials research at mm. the moment um Sportswear companies like Nike and others are really interested in this idea of putting structure into stuff, but just by using knitting techniques and 3D knitting. And if you can create channels inside fabrics that can be breathable Mm -hmm. and make it a bit more adaptive to the human body, that's really, really cool technology. And that is something that's kind of baked in with knitting as a craft. As soon as people started uh, knitting in the round, which is a particular feature of Shetland and Nordic style knitting, where you've got all the colour work. Yeah. Um, if you're if you're doing two strands of different colours, it can be really difficult to go back and forth like you would on a flat piece of knitting. So they just go round and round. So you end up with a, a garment that's in one piece and it's got these spectacular designs on in bright colours. Mm. Because that's one of the other features that animal fibres have that are superior to plant fibres is that protein-based fibre loves dye. It will pick up colour like nobody's business, whereas you have to work quite hard to get a cellulose fibre to pick up colour. Right, interesting. Okay. So hence why we have wonderful, colourful Christmas jumpers. Mm, Yeah. (laughs) As opposed to Christmas (laughs) (laughs) t-shirts. Yeah, I mean, that's um, most of those are drawing on sort of Nordic and Alpine Mm. um, pattern traditions um, or Shetland and Fair Isle ones. Oh, brilliant. So, okay, then after we've spun our wool into a nice long yarn, Mm -hmm. what do we do with it then? Because it's only been twisted one way when... It's not under tension. It curls up. But once you ply it, if I've got the balance right, which I mm-hmm. haven't quite with this bit, it sits much more yes. relaxed. It, yeah, exactly. It's not strained in the same way. Yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, you spin the single in one direction and ply 
in the opposite direction. Right, a bit like Christmas lights. Yeah, and then they balance themselves, basically. Um, and then it's a, it's a usable thread for the craft of your choice. Amazing. So... Um, I do do a little bit of crochet. I, I've not tried weaving. It involves a lot of kit. A loom. I, yes. Yeah. <laughs> it seems like a big piece of kit. It's, it can be a big piece of kit and I don't have a lot of space. <laughs> um, so my favoured craft is knitting. And knitted fabric is just loops pulled through loops. Mm-hmm. Do you find it very meditative? I do, yeah. I mean, because I've been doing it for so long, I if I'm not doing anything kind of complicated or that involves too much counting, I can mm-hmm. do it without looking. Yeah. So I can... Like, like you're doing right now. <laughs> yeah. I could like sit on the bus or on the train and just... My hands are doing something. Mm. I can sit still. Mm. So yeah, most of it is made up of uh, knit stitches and purl stitches. So uh, purl stitch, you pull the loop through the front of the loop that's already on your needle. Mm-hmm. And a knit stitch... You pull it through from the back and by combining them in different ways, you can make lots of different textures and lots of different, build in lots of different qualities to the, to the fabric. So the stitches can be a bit denser together or a bit more yeah. spaced out. Um, and you can build in extra flexibility as well. So if I alternate knit stitches and purl stitches and stack them on top of each other, um, that creates a ribbed fabric, mm-hmm. which is extra stretchy. And has has more rebound basically. Yeah. This is so interesting. So with the structure of it, you can you can embed a function that would otherwise not be there in a normal fabric. Yeah, and I can um, you know build it three dimensionally. You can add in or remove stitches to make it uh, change shape in certain directions. So if I picked two points along this little swatch to put a set of increases. Um, you'd start to get a sort of a rounded shape as that opened out. Wow, this is really interesting actually for my own research. So I'm working on how you can um, create smart fabrics. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're looking at specifically something called a meta material, which is, it was in the news a few years ago about this idea that you might be able to make an invisibility cloak using meta materials. Mm. So these are just structures that interact with um, various electromagnetic waves, but various bits of light um, based on how big their structure mm-hmm. is. Um, but we're looking at sort of mechanical metamaterials. So the structure of the thing will dictate its mechanical properties. And that sounds like exactly that's, what you're doing. Yeah, I think that's yeah. exactly the thing. Yeah. So the only difference with my work would be that we're trying to create something that can uh, move in response to a stimulus. Mm. So that might be something that like bends if it gets wet or yeah. will change shape if it gets like a certain colour of light on it mm-hmm. or if it heats up. Um, but that's just one extra step, which is changing the structure and changing yeah. the material that you're knitting with and the different patterns that you use. Yeah, I mean, if you look up um, fishermen's jumpers, I mean, this might be apocryphal, but each of those places has got stories about there being particular patterns uh, unique patterns worked into each man's knitwear so that you'd be able to identify him cool. if he washed up or something oh that's a bit morbid um, <laughs> but you know it's it's like oh this is the the family kind of 
design or whatever. Oh, wow, cool. Um, but also has that practical purpose of... <laughs> Identifying... Whose, whose husband is it on the beach? <laughs> um, but it's the practicalities oh. of, of the lifestyle. Sure. Do you like learning about the latest in science and tech? Do you get annoyed by constant jokes about e equals MC squared as if a bit of incredibly niche humour is a replacement for actual personality? Do you hate the fact that it's always old white men comparing the size of their hadron colliders? That joke's okay because it's about penises. Why aren't you a doctor yet brings together science, tech, pop culture and comedy? I met her at a cafe. She had, when I came in, she was like, yo, is there a plug socket around it? I was like, why? She's like, got a plug in my heart. I was like, fucking hell. With that. six degrees, two PhDs, and a whole host of expert guests, we discuss everything from current affairs. And mm. we've got this term single-use plastics, mm. which we don't have for any other materials, right? We don't have single-use metals. Ethics. So the calculus is not, am I prepared to give up my rights in order to have greater ability to, to stop terrorism or crime? It is, am I prepared to give up the rights of some very vulnerable people within society? Mental health. I did not call a therapist. I called Bristol's prime greek restaurant no way and whatever this is it started <laughs> off as a light science podcast featuring ethnic minority people <laughs> and somehow it's become fucking university challenge <laughs> did i ask for this no i'm concerned though. i'm coming across like a bit of a dick <laughs> join us for why aren't you a doctor yet it's like getting your phd but without the loss of time money and ability to form healthy human relationships you can find us on apple podcasts spotify and wherever you get your podcasts this message comes from bof sponsor ebay you'll know real when you get it it'll say ebay authenticity guarantee and you'll feel it maybe it's a head-turning handbag a watch that says it all Jewelry that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it, so look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love, and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So yeah, the fishermen were using wool because it 
remains very thermally insulating even when it's wet. And you mm-hmm. said earlier that that's to do with its structure and yeah. of the wool, um, as opposed to its kind of molecules it's made of. Yes. Um, so what is the structure of wool? Um, so like any animal hair, um, it's it's got a core, it's got a layer around, around the core. I don't know exactly all the uh, all the terms from this. I'm not a trichologist. Um, <laughs> but uh, there's sort of a couple of layers in the core and then uh, a scaled structure on top. Um, and if you look at uh, microscope photographs of different animal fibres and plant fibres and artificial fibres next to each other, you can see the variation in their structures. So... Um, wool and like alpaca fiber or angora um have got quite big scales so it creates a lot of air spaces like with between strands and obviously the more air spaces you've got the more warm air you can trap close to what you're trying to keep warm or the more cooler you can trap if you're trying to insulate for the in the opposite direction mm. um and So because it's a you know, an organic structure that's been grown, it's also quite random. Yeah. So it'll lock and relock at random in response to the movement that's going on around it, which is why uh, they're also quite breathable. They don't, they tend to wick quite well. You don't get sort of sweaty. I mean, if you, um, if you're used to wearing acrylic knitwear Mm. um and someone gives you something that's got like a high cashmere content or is is made of wool you will notice immediately that it is so much warmer and so much less like humid inside it yeah um and uh so sort of silk is kind of in between the plant fibers and the the animal hair fibers in that sort of structure it's got slightly smaller scales and then once you get to plant fibers they're a lot smoother um but they still have that to a certain extent which is why like cotton and linen are so cool to wear mm-hmm. um whereas an artificial fiber so an, a, an acrylic yarn or nylon it's it's extruded plastic that's all it is. So it's a very smooth fibre. There's absolutely none of that scaling going yeah. on. Yeah. So it doesn't lock together and insulate in the same way. And obviously if you spin it into a yarn, it's still warmer than, um, you know, wearing nothing. <laughs> but it's it doesn't have quite the same because it doesn't have those physical properties. So I guess because wool is a natural fibre, it must be easy to dispose of in a sustainable way yeah i mean it's fully compostable it takes a while because it's just keratin but um you can compost it i have heard about companies making mulch mats out of wool um so you lay it down on the border the weeds can't get through it and it gradually composts as it's going along um and i mean my mum the scraps of her fleeces that she can't spin, she tends to leave out for the birds as nest building material. Oh, that's sweet. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, there's a an old fat block feeder full of wool in the garden. Nice. That they can oh. just pick from as they need to. So none of it goes to waste. Yeah, yeah well, in contrast to synthetic fibres, I suppose, mm. which are uh, traditionally not really very compostable. Yes. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I mean, terrible to dispose of any other way as well. If you set it on fire, it just melts. 
a lot of them. Yes, and is... don't fleeces release microfibers these days? <laughs> yeah, I've heard that. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't know if it's enough to um, change the way people are dressing because it's just not practical. No, we can't. It's difficult to avoid, and actually, they can often offer a lot of benefits yeah. in certain circumstances. And there's a lot of ways in which um, expanding industries for natural fibers would have horrific implications right but i did read that 2009 was the international year of natural fibers as declared by the un general assembly that's fantastic yeah that's great yeah who knew it's nearly the 10th anniversary of the international year of national fibers i think the idea must be because synthetic fibers have overtaken natural Mm. fibers so much that maybe there was a risk of the technology dying out Mm. or you know a lot of these things have become more small scale so we don't have a national wool industry in the uk anymore which we used to and it was like such a huge part of the industrial revolution Mm. the luddites whole thing was that they were fighting against the automation of their textile industry jobs oh really wow so with the industrial revolution came the automation of being able to spin and being able to um to weave mm. with the with the industrialised looms much more quickly than yeah. we ever could before. So it went from being a cottage industry, um, you know, spinster is used in a sort of pejorative context, but um, an unmarried woman who chose to spin as a profession had this sort of like freedom and power that women who just got married kind of couldn't. That's incredible. I had no idea that spinster came from spinning. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of politics that can be brought into wool. And I mean, well, a lot of yarn people are very political as well. Oh, really? Um, the knitters who get organised, and by gods they do, mm. um, the the pink pussy hats for yes, the Women's March. I remember them. Um, there were, I saw some snidey tweets from people talking about oh well how did they oh they managed to organize all these hats to be in the place with military precision and it's like you've literally never met knitters before what was wait hang on (laughs) how is that a criticism i don't understand (laughs) they were implying that that meant there was some sort of conspiracy involved it's literally someone posted the patterns on social media and when yarn people go forth that's so cool um and so we did Mm. and i mean it's, it's something about sitting and knitting frees your brain up to think and the knitting community is so active and so involved mm. um, and so willing to take part like they'll turn up <laughs> <laughs> so you know when everyone's favorite yarn blogger is like guys I'm raising money for this they turn up yeah yeah <laughs> Um, so yeah, seeing people making snide comments about, oh, well, how did they manage that? It's like, cause we've been doing it forever. Yeah. During the world wars, people were knitting to send kit to the mm. soldiers at the front. And yeah. So it sounds like knitting is quite kind of tied up in feminism. Would you say? I think, yeah, as a, as a thing, which is probably mainly done by women. Hmm. There are lots of male knitters out there. Um, and frankly, there should be more because men should let go of the fear of doing girly things. For sure. Um, but because especially in 
as a hobby, it's very female dominated. It gives us lots of opportunity to organize ourselves and talk to each other. Yeah. And there's no better place to like foster it. If we're talking to one another, we've got more opportunity to collaborate. Mm. Yeah. And to reassure one another that the stuff we're seeing isn't false and isn't and isn't right and to back each other up if we're going to do something about it. We were talking on the bus earlier about the stitch and bitch phenomenon mm. um, and what could the knitting equivalent be? <laughs> what did we come up with? You suggested a yarn-themed dating night. Oh, yeah, wool and pull. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is brilliant, and I am having that for when I have my dream knitting cafe. <laughs> we need to um, make it happen. I'm sure it will catch on, but maybe only for women who date women. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but that's all I need. <laughs> that's that's the yeah that's the goal let's make it happen um i think there's enough men who uh with whatever orientation to keep it afloat or enough men who like cannot find socks to fit really (laughs) really want to find a woman to do that work for them so it's going to be a room of lesbians and big-footed men yeah 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 (laughs) ideal i mean yeah, the men turning up just to get clothes made for them want to consider the boyfriend sweater curse before they really delve in. What's but, the boyfriend sweater curse? Um, so it is said that if a woman begins knitting a whole jumper for a man she's not yet married to, the relationship is doomed. <gasps> no way. Um, and it often bears out. Um, one of our <laughs> one of our friends has got um, a pretty good hypothesis about how this goes, which mm-hmm. is. You say, boyfriend, I'm going to knit you a, a jumper. And boyfriend goes, uh, fine, because he doesn't understand what goes into that. Mm-hmm. And you're going, right, I need to take your measurements. I need to discuss with you what kind of thing you want. What sort of colour do you like? Do you like this pattern? Do you like that pattern? Cables? Yes? No? And he's going, uh... <laughs> and then... Hundreds of hours of work go into the jumper. Yeah. I mean, I um, I finished a cardigan for myself in May, which had taken a year. Wow. Um, but there is a lot of effort and a lot of thought goes into making something. And then you give it to him and he goes, eh. or you're halfway through and you look at him and you go, uh, I'm putting way more effort into this than he is. <laughs> I'm just going to keep the and jumper you for suddenly, myself. Yeah, you... <laughs> It it puts you in a position where you are far more likely to really thoroughly reassess the relationship, mm. um, which is why it often happens. But, um, you know, if it all goes downhill, then I guess we've got more people to come to Wool and Yes, Pulse. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's a winner. <laughs> so if people have enjoyed the podcast and they'd like to get more involved in wool and maybe in knitting, where would you recommend that people start? Um, online. It's your preferred social media. If you start looking for relevant tags, you'll find people. Um, YouTube has got lots and lots of tutorials and stuff. And literally, if you go along to the nearest yarn shop and say, I'm interested in learning to knit, they might well have classes. They might be willing to sit down with you there. Um, If you've got a parent or a grandma who knits, then like use their skills. And um, once you've once you've dipped your toe and are wondering about getting the bug, um, I do recommend uh, getting onto Ravelry, which is the uh, 
Knitters and Crochet's social network. Awesome. Um, they have got a really active community. They've got a spectacular and very searchable pattern archive. Um, and they make it really easy to find groups that are local to you and just keep your eyes peeled because like church halls coffee shops um i think uh, i think there's a cinema in town here that has a knitting group um so you know do those go along make friends it's a great thing to do sociably Mm. and yeah the more brains the better when you start dropping stitches there will be someone who's like i've got a crochet hook i can fix this oh cool and we'll rescue you (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Well, if people want to see what you're up to, uh, maybe follow some of your knitting escapades, um, where can people find you on social media? So for craft content, um, Instagram is probably the best. That's Leah underscore KMR. Um, And I do also have a craft blog updating intermittently as and when I I have updates, um, which is compulsive makery uh dot blogspot.com um there's a lot of wedding crafts going on on there at the moment because i'm getting married next year and i'm a control freak so i'm doing a lot of it myself uh i do also co-host a science news podcast with my partner um which is eureka nerd awesome well check it out listeners and yeah that's that's all we're gonna cover so thank you for coming on the podcast (laughs) thank you for having me So that was my chat with Leah Richards. Thanks a lot to Leah for coming on the show and also to her partner, Will, for cooking us an amazing post-podcast curry. Now on to the questions, and this is the third in our mini-series on recycling. Sarah Jones asks a question which I'm sure many people can relate to, which is, why is there so much confusion about recycling? Well, one of the problems with recycling is that it's all managed by local authorities. So this means that something which is recyclable where you live might not be recyclable where I live or where your friends live. Commercial and industrial recycling tends to be dealt with by private companies. So the rules might be different at work compared to at home. Another reason for the confusion is the labelling on packaging. The green one with the two arrows in a circle actually just means that the manufacturer has paid into a scheme that supports recyclable packaging and recyclable systems, which has nothing to do with the packaging itself. What you actually need to look for is the so-called Mobius loop, which is the three arrows that go around in a triangle. That denotes how recyclable the packaging is. Now, the number inside the arrows refers to the resin code for the type of plastic used. Because everybody knows what resin codes mean, right? Other recycling symbols actually just show what proportion of local authorities in the UK recycle that particular packaging. So the green arrows mean that 75% of local authorities recycle it. The black one means that not all local authorities will collect it, so check locally. And the black one crossed out means that it's collected by less than 20% of councils. What? Before I answer this question, I had no idea about any of this, but it just does not seem to make any sense to do it by probability. And when it says check with your local scheme, where do you actually check? Well, I went on my council's website and they do have a section which is called what you can and can't recycle with a list under each. But top of the list of what you can recycle is just plastic food packaging, which literally does not help to narrow it down at all. So honestly, although you came here for answers, I really don't know what to suggest. Other than that, if you're not sure, 
to be honest, it's better just to put it in the bin because just one wrong item inside a recycling sack can contaminate the whole bag of recycling. And that means that none of the items inside that bag get recycled because it's just too expensive for councils to take out the contaminants and to resort all of the waste. So that's a bit of a depressing end of this episode, but don't forget that tickets for Real Talk Live in London are on sale now. The ticket link is in the show notes. We'll be joined by materials legend Zoe Laughlin to talk about ice. Our other special announcement is that this episode we have our first merch. You can purchase a beautiful Real Talk sticker by heading over to smartmaterialcollective.com and clicking merch. All proceeds go towards the running of the podcast and you can put these wonderful stickers on your laptop or your water bottle or anywhere you want to show your allegiance to your favourite materials podcast. We'll be back with another episode in two weeks. So in the meantime, go well and keep spreading the real talk love. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay authenticity guarantee and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head turning handbag, a watch that says it all jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.